0: officer, and CEO at the Belden Group of Companies for over 32 years. The Belden Group of Companies has over 225 team members with over 70 team members that have served over 20 years. It's a family-owned business that's been around for 73 years and four generations. Brad, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so, I mean, it's a family-owned business. You guys must be close. Tell me about some fond childhood memories.
1: Well, so I have three siblings, and we rarely saw my dad. And I think I fell into his footsteps as well because he came home after we ate dinner, and I think he saw us in our bed. <laughs> yeah. And that it's, in a family business, when we did have dinner with him, the discussions came home every single night. We never got away from work, and I think my kids are experiencing the exact same thing. And they'll just look at me. And they're like, "Dad, can we talk about something other than work?" You don't even realize you're doing it.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, to lead me to my next uh, next question what's the What's the favorite part of working with your family? I'm assuming you work with other family members.
1: Yeah. So I work with my father and my brother. Yeah. I enjoy it. The best part about it is that they're going to tell you like it is and they're not going to make you feel good about the conversation. And we're all pretty much black and white and and we leave it at work and we don't generally take it home afterwards. And and that's really the hard part because I've had family members in the business where we weren't able to do that. Mm. And it made it difficult because I I wanted them to be family first and not business associates. And that, that was really hard.
0: Oh man. Yeah. I guess four generations, I mean, you, you've sort of so sort of buck the trend, right? Because usually it doesn't survive that many uh, generations.
1: Well, we're not through with COVID-19, right? <laughs> so we have the fourth generation in, but I haven't exactly handed over the torch yet. <laughs> I told my dad that the other day, actually. I said to yeah. my dad, I said, I would sure hate to lose a business over a virus. Yeah. Some things that you have absolutely no control over. Yeah. And this has been a very unprecedented, uncharted waters very difficult on everybody.
0: Mm, yeah, so I mean if you've been around this long, I mean, what sort of parallels can you draw from what you've went through in the past in terms of ups and downs in the market?
1: So, we went through 2008. I'm sorry, we went through the 1980s. We went through 9/11 and then we went through 0809. So, in the 80s, we weren't sure we could make payroll on Friday. And and that was that was really bad because four out of five of our customers went out of business oh. right in the middle of projects. As developers in Texas, we did a lot of development work. So we lost 80% of our business overnight and we weren't sure we were going to be able to make it through that. Then 9-11 hit, which was so different because that was at least in the eighties you saw it coming. And but with 9-11, I don't think anybody saw that coming.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: 8 09, kind of hit everybody really hard, but the ones that came out of it, there were opportunities on the other side. Mm-hmm. I think what's unique about this situation is that the economy was so strong. Just less than 60 days ago, I think it was February 12th, was the all-time high for the Dow. So what, 50 days ago? And here we are looking at a 30% drop or whatever the, the drop is, it's significant. And I'm hopeful that that we can find a way for the economy to turn around and with that, with the stimulus package that's out there, it's going to put a lot of money out into the into the marketplace, and I'm hoping that businesses and consumers will be willing to spend the money.
0: Mm. Yeah. So, so going back to some of your past adversity, what sort of things did you tell yourself, or what sort of things did you do, particularly through those times that that you could sort of uh, sort of think back to?
1: I think one of the, the lessons that I remember in the '80s when I was first starting the business. So I started there when I was 12. Mm -hmm. So I cut the grass. And funny story there is I cut the grass and my dad came out one day and I was 12 years old. And I said I was done for the day. And he looked at it and he said something to the effect, this isn't Wimbledon. (laughs) I'm sorry, he said, he said, I'm paying you a lot of money to do this. I said, it's not Wimbledon. All I'm doing is cutting the grass. And, And so- it's when you re, you reflect back on those times, you know, as we got to the 80s, I remember my father saying, our employees are our family, and we mm-hmm. got to figure out a way to take care of them. And so when we're looking at each crisis, so in this crisis, now we're looking at 250 team members, we tend to think that everybody has an average of four, 1000 people that we're responsible for yeah. Times three meals is three thousand meals a day. Yeah. So when the salesman walks into a home or a business, if he or she doesn't do his job, somebody may not eat. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of pressure, and and we do we we try and remain extremely positive. We try and focus on the things that we can control, and don't worry about the things that we can't control.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's that's definitely great great advice. Now. You, you mentioned uh, Wimbledon. Yeah, you guys watch a lot of tennis back in the day, or?
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah. John McEnroe and Jimmy Connors throwing his racket. Oh yeah, we used to get up. My dad would wake me up for Wimbledon. Yeah, and we would watch it, and we were watching what we thought was a great screen. Right back yeah. then, it was yeah. probably twenty inches, and you know, we were sitting there. And today, now you got fifty inch TVs, and it yeah. looks like you're actually sitting there. Yeah, and. It was really, my dad and I really enjoyed watching Wimbledon growing up. Awesome. Yeah. Although I wasn't a very good tennis player. <laughs> <laughs> it was my dream.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. So I guess going into the, the the business side, I mean, you guys do both commercial and residential?
1: Yes. So we do about 80% of our business is commercial. Yeah. 20% roughly is, is residential. And okay. we're licensed in 46 states. Yeah. Residential, we really only do in Texas. Okay. Commercial, we travel wherever our customer wants us to travel.
0: Okay. What was the the, the residential side? Why why did you pick the, that side up?
1: So really, mainly, we picked that side up because what we found was our commercial customers were always asking, hey, can you do me a favor? Can you take care of this for me? Can you take care of that for me? And we hated saying no. <laughs> and so that's really, in essence, I mean, we started in the residential business. When my grandfather got out of the war, he couldn't find a job. Mm-hmm. And so he started the, the family roofing business, and it really was a residential business. And in the 80s, when I joined my father, we we grew it into a large commercial business mm-hmm. and and did not grow the residential business. It's pretty much stayed the same for all those years. But really, the residential business is, is really a difficult business. It's a lot harder when you think about it. Everybody's home is their pride and joy and, mm-hmm. and their expectations, whether you're at 100 Main Street or 105 Main Street, maybe the exact same house, but the expectations are so different. Whereas on a commercial property, expectations are fairly similar. Get the job done and we'll get you paid. Right? I mean, it's it's pretty much black and white there too.
0: Yeah. You're talking about differences. What other differences are there? I mean, difference in sales cycle, marketing, sales approach. Is there any sort of things that someone that doesn't know the industry should should know about the differences?
1: Well, the residential sales cycle is considerably faster than the the commercial sales cycle. The residential sales cycle, if they want to do it, they've already, A, they've already looked at everything on the internet. (laughs) They know more than your typical roofing salesman to begin with. (laughs) And it's just a matter of whether or not they can afford what they want. And so what we like to do is give them a good, better, best option. And then we offer financing. There's not a lot of financing out in the marketplace for the commercial property owner. And usually that stuff is planned three, four, five years out. And and it's planned at a budget three, four, five years out. And so if things change, for instance, the situation that we're in today, it could dramatically impact what could happen to pricing. We're starting to see shortages on material, whether yeah. or not that's going to be sustained, I don't know. But but if you start seeing TPO and EPDM rolls being bought like toilet paper, then it could create a crisis in our market. Yeah. <laughs> now you laugh, but it could happen. I, mean, I know, I know. I, it's, I remember the oil embargo. Everybody was buying asphalt back in the 70s. And I asked my dad, why do we have all this asphalt everywhere? I didn't know much about it. I was still only 12, 13 years old. Yeah. And and he said, you can't get it. You have to buy it.
0: No, I just laughed because you were talking about toilet paper. I, I'm just wondering how that how that even started.
1: It It makes no sense. It defies logic, but it's human nature. And that's what the problem of the uh, the whole buying cycle is is all about human nature, right?
0: Yeah. So how does how does sort of the buying cycle look like on the commercial side? You talked about years in advance. I mean, what sort of considerations do you go into from a marketing and sales approach when you go into the commercial side?
1: We think the commercial side is three to six months. Mm-hmm. About half of our business is consultant business, yeah. so we're not even privy to that buying cycle because once the consultant has the blueprints and the bidding process started. It's already well-defined. Not only that, the completion date is already defined. Whereas on a private owner, that buying cycle can be anywhere, aside from a disaster, right? A a hailstorm or something like that. That that buying cycle is typically one month to three months. Mm -hmm. At least in South Texas, that's what we found. Yeah, definitely.
0: Now, I guess your company, you speak a lot about
1: Integrity in your mission statement. Can you tell me more about that? So we had a mission statement that was that was probably I know three paragraphs long. Yeah. That we had for at least ten years. Yeah. And I could not remember it. I I would carry a card around. I would try and memorize it. And as a group, we put it together. And it was what was it for? It was for bids, right? Mm -hmm. If you didn't put turn in your mission statement on your bid, you could get disqualified. We came up with this fabulous mission statement. But at the end of the day, nobody could remember it. <laughs> so I got together with about 10 people. And I said, let's let's come up with something that that we all believe in mm-hmm. that we can remember and then we can do we can repeat whenever asked. And they're like, Well, we like the current one. I'm like, I'll tell you what, give me five, five reasons that you come to work every day. And believe it or not, every single one of them had integrity on it. Mm-hmm. And so we thought, and, and they had family. Mm, okay. And so we had two of the words already there. So we decided to put it out to everybody in the company yeah. and the vast percentage, I don't remember 70, 80% had integrity and family. And that's when we decided, you know what? Integrity is our family business is really simple. Anybody can repeat it. And we remind people every day, when you make a decision with a customer, you do the right thing and do it with integrity. You don't ever have to worry about whether or not the customer thinks it was fair. They may not agree with you, but yeah. they'll think it was fair.
0: Yeah, Oh, that's good, I like that. Simplicity is a, is a big one. So there's a lot of different things happening, but in the market, as it relates to the current changes, but you know, leading up to it, what sort of trends or sort of things were you looking at the marketplace in terms of technology or anything else? What What were you paying attention to?
1: So we felt that the market was very robust prior to COVID-19. We just switched our CRM system after two years mm. of integrating. We had five CRM systems. We integrated them into one. And we have two divisions. We have a home improvement division yep. and a roofing division. And it was very difficult to try and, and get those five systems integrated into one system. We spent two years doing it. And, and we were so excited to roll it out. Our goal was to roll it out this year. We did get it rolled out, but we rolled it out over the last 45 days. And so everything could have happened, happened at exactly the same time. Oof. But we've, we, we have a drone pilot. That's changed a lot of what we do. Yeah, We're able to use those, those images in our marketing. We use them a lot for infrared cameras. Yeah, And so that we fly over on recovery systems, we fly over the roof and we do our own infrared. So we use iPads for presentations. Mm-hmm. So if we want to make a change, when we're walking into a home or a business, we hit a button, we update it, and every single person, when they hit the refresh, gets the new pricing or the new PowerPoint presentation. Everything is the same for everybody. So it allows our systems and procedures to be very efficient. And we have found that that's great. And you know, it's, there's so many apps out there, mm-hmm. such as CompanyCam, fully integratable with virtually anything out there, open-ended API. The sky's the limit on what you could do with that. And so we're always looking for add-on products that enable us to wow the customer. As long as it has an open-ended API, our MIS department pretty much can integrate it with our CRM and and do wonders with it.
0: Wow. So you're you're using technology actively. You're probably tracking lots of data. What sort of data do you guys look at very uh, carefully within your company?
1: So for us, it's all about leads. Mm -hmm. And we look at the lead count every single morning. What leads did we get yesterday? Mm -hmm. And if that number stays there, and then our closing ratio stays the same, it's fairly consistent. It's a numbers game after that. And, and, And on the residential side, we look at net sales per lead issued. And so we look at what is the sales rep bringing back for every lead that we give them and that's a that's a really good number for anybody to know. If I hand Joe or Mary a lead, am I gonna get fifteen hundred dollars in sales back or am I gonna get three thousand dollars in sales back? And if I get a really good lead and I've only got one lead that day, who am I giving that lead to? Mm. I'm giving it to Mary because she brings back three thousand dollars with every lead that I give her. Interesting. So we don't we don't use a lot of numbers. Yeah. They're there. Yeah, but if 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 we we try and narrow it down to four or five per division, mm-hmm. and use those to operate our business,
0: yeah, that's yep, definitely makes sense. It's not the quantity, right? It's the it's the right
1: ones, right? It's the few that really count. Because <laughs> if you start, if you don't have leads, you don't have sales. If you don't have sales, you don't need a production department. If you don't have revenue, you don't need an accounting department, right? <laughs> so everybody, it's a domino effect on the whole, on the whole company.
0: So I mean, is your leads. How do they come in? Do they find you online or where do they pr- predominantly show up? Through uh, advertising? or
1: It's a lot of advertising. A lot of advertising. We have our own call center. Okay. We use remote call center agents that are our employees, our team members, work out of their houses. Or even in some instances, dorm rooms where kids can't find flexible work hours. Okay. They can work from the library. They can take the call from the library. They can take it from their dorm room. Wow. But let's say that they're looking for two hours in the morning and two hours in the afternoon. Yeah, It works for us to be flexible and it works for them. It's actually better for them than it is for us.
0: That's great. So they just start banging the phone and calling up different... No, it's all, we're all inbound. Oh, it's all inbound. Okay. Yeah.
1: yeah. Very cool. And with the way, uh, the way that we've set it up and our CRM, it gives them a script right there in front of them. So it really doesn't matter where they are. They have a headset, and as long as they have a good internet, it's and it's crystal clear. You know, the customer doesn't know. Just like if you call American Airlines or Southwest Airlines, yeah. any really, most call centers are now remote anyway. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And actually, in retrospect, having the call center remote ended up being a saver savior for us with the COVID nineteen situation mm. because it, at one point. We had uh, 20 people in the call center upstairs, mm-hmm. and now that they're remote, we didn't have that fear of, of spreading a virus. Mm.
0: okay, that makes a lot of sense.
1: What we were able to do too was we were able to implement Zoom. Yes. So we have a Zoom monitor, and so everybody that's on a call, yeah. you can see them working, oh. and everybody can see each other, so it's a collaborative work environment, so you can smile at your coworkers and, <laughs> and do funny things. And we actually, if you call our office, one of the things we ask you is, Mrs. Jones, would you like to hear the joke of the day? Oh, okay. Yeah. So everybody has the joke of the day. And well, we want it to be a fun environment. We want people, when they do business with us, to enjoy it. Why do they have to when they do business with a construction company? Why does it have to be so regimented?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's very cool. So you said Zoom. So you guys leave Zoom on in the background?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So when we log in, there's a Zoom camera and you can see all your coworkers in the call center. <laughs> right there. And when you're logged in. Yeah. And so we've been using Zoom for years. We love yeah. the product, really good product. And so when, when COVID-19 hit, yeah. we were already versed in, in that yeah. type of software. So it was an easy change for us. It was just getting everybody remote.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So joke of the day. So the joke of the day, everyone's responsible for the joke of the day or is is someone bringing it? No, no.
1: We have a little calendar we buy (laughs) uh, on Amazon or whatever. And then they just tear it off every day and they get another joke of the day. (laughs) Some people will actually say, I don't want to hear a joke of the day. And (laughs) and the likelihood that that's our customer is probably pretty slim too. Yeah, yeah, But we want people to enjoy doing business with us and not to think that they have to do business with us.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So you put your title as chief culture officer. So
1: culture is very important. Is that
0: like a recent change? Or you always had that title yourself? No,
1: it's been a couple of years. But yeah. what happened was yeah. we had an incident at work mm-hmm. where the outcome wasn't where I wanted it to be.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And and I said to myself, is that a cultural problem? Or is that a people problem?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And And I said, you know what? I think it's a cultural problem. And if it's a cultural problem, then that's my fault. And I'm responsible for that. And if people don't know where culture starts, if my title doesn't reflect that, they don't know who to go to. So I immediately changed my title. And about probably two weeks after that, my father was reading one of my emails. And he said, what is this chief culture officer? (laughs) And I explained it to him. He said, he said, okay, I like that. Changed my title. I'm like, what's your title? He said, I'm head coach. And I'm like, but you're always giving advice. I, you know, I don't know that that fits. He said, that is what a head coach does. I'm like, okay, works for me. So he says, well, how do I change my title, right? He's 81 years old. So I had to go in there and go in there and change his title. And then it wasn't working on his iPhone. And then he was upset. So I had to go in there and Change it on his iPhone. Right? But he was dead set on having his title changed. We're flexible. We, we make a change. We make it like that. That's what's fun to do in a family business. You don't have to wait around for the board of directors to approve changes.
0: Yeah, entrepreneurial environment, right? Yes. <laughs> so, uh, what, what is? I mean, what does the future look like for you? I mean, besides this blip that we're going through, I'm confident that you guys are gonna power through. What's the future look like?
1: So, we have one daughter that's in the business already, fourth generation, and we have three more kids, all of which, two of which have graduated from the University of Texas Business Honors Program. We have two more in the program right now, so we're hoping that that a couple of the kids want to come in the business, or maybe some significant others or spouses that would want to come into the business down the road. We think it would be great to, for the family business to continue for generations to come. But it's their choice. We're not going to force them to run the business. Yeah,
0: yeah. makes sense. You got to have a
1: in this business. You got to have thick skin and you got to have a passion because every day is a difficult day in this business. Mm,
0: thick skin. I mean. I mean, do you think thick skin can be built up or do you either have it or you don't?
1: I think it could be massaged, but you <laughs> either have it or you don't, because this business is not for everybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had siblings in the business who don't enjoy it, and that's okay. You don't this really is a very difficult business. And and I think that things only go right 30% of the time in this business, mm. right? So so if you if if you have seven no's every time you go out to make a presentation and you're lucky to get to 30%, it's not a fun thing to be in. Mm-hmm. And so you it's it, you gotta constantly pump yourself up and pump up your coworkers and that's just not fun for everybody. Mm-hmm. And, and so we tell people all the time, if you're not happy doing this, go find a job that you're happy with because you got one shot at life and look at this COVID situation, right? People right and left are dying who are healthy. Mm. Right. And they're dying in days, not weeks, months, years. It's not like a cancer issue. You don't know when your number is gonna be up. So if you're not having fun being in the roofing business, go find something that'll make you fun and make your life fun and go enjoy it. And we do it's it's a difficult business. So we do have some really unique hobbies. And describe unique. Describe unique. (laughs) So a number of us in this business, in this industry, drive Jeeps. Okay. It gives you that that level of, of fear, yeah. right? Maybe to, you can get out of your comfort zone yeah. or stay in your comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. It gives you the ability to get out and have fun with your friends. It gives you the ability to get wet, muddy. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's a really good way to release tension. Yeah. And the other thing that I like about that you see a lot of contractors as Jeeps, it's about your personality,
0: mm.
1: right? It's the most modified car made <laughs> and every one of them is different. Yeah. And so when you pull up to a Jeep ride yeah. and you look at it and you're saying, I know that guy and that fits <laughs> his personality, right? Yeah. And then you look at another one, like, I didn't think that about him, but you know what? Maybe that is his personality. Yeah. And so I think it says a lot about you as a person mm-hmm. in the way that you modify your Jeep. And it's just, I don't know, it's fun. There's a lot of us that do that. That's awesome.
0: <laughs> cool. So you're obviously running a big organization, so you're busy. How do you keep it together? What are the top three habits or routines that kind of pull it together for you?
1: So I guess the first thing is, is being organized. Mm -hmm. I use a to-do program. And so I keep track. I don't like to micromanage, Mm -hmm. although I can if I had to, Mm -hmm. but I use it to do an online to-do program where I can assign a task to somebody. And then I don't have to sit there. I, I put a date on it and I don't have to sit there and ask them every five minutes I'm a firm believer the, I guess the second thing was meeting with your team on a set basis, whether it's once a week, once a day, once every two weeks, have a defined time frame and have a, and have a specified amount of time to do that meeting. And I think that that's important. And I think the third, the third part is, is being available. Mm-hmm. I try not to have any responsibilities when I walk in the door, general responsibilities mm-hmm. on any given day. Mm-hmm. So if somebody needs me to go to a sales appointment or if we have an issue on a job site, mm-hmm. then then I can, generally speaking, should be able to drop most of what I'm doing because the other stuff are, is really meeting related where somebody's coming back and, and keeping me updated. And I think that that allows me to to fluctuate and be wherever somebody needs me at any given time.
0: Mm-hmm. Makes a lot of
1: sense. It'll make you old real fast too. <laughs> a little stressful, but it's okay. I, I enjoy it. That's, I I love what I do. And I love working with the people that I work with. And I love working with my dad and my brother yeah, and I love working with my sisters. That's awesome. Now you,
0: you started talking about, did you say time management or time tracking system? You said something about time management. Time management. What what system uh, are you are you working off of?
1: No, no. I use a to-do
0: list. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. So, so I just, I just notate when we need to have that finished. And then that's how I track it. We probably have about, I have a, a bucket for every key team member in their bucket. I, all of them, probably 600 tasks at any given time. Okay. It's not a difficult program, but it's one that works for us internally yeah, yeah. and allows us to do that. And Salesforce has something similar, but we don't use that in Salesforce.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, if you weren't in the roofing
1: industry, what would you be doing? I would have found the roofing industry even if I wasn't <laughs> in the roofing industry. You know, it's so unique because nothing is the same every day. Yeah. And that's what I love about this business. You get to meet a lot of great people. You get to meet a lot of really, really smart people. Yeah. And you have to have an entrepreneurial spirit every day because you have to reinvent yourself and you have to be willing to change. And what we tell people when they come in to interview with us,
0: mm-hmm.
1: if you don't like change, You're going to hate it here because (laughs) what we did this morning at eight o'clock, we may do do differently at five o'clock because if we don't, if our competition catches us, then we're out of business. Mm. We have to keep be willing to move nothing other than quality and integrity and keeping water out of buildings and homes. Other than that, we got to be willing to change.
0: Yeah. I mean, what sort of, when you say change, you said do something different in the morning than the the afternoon or late. Uh, give, Give me an example.
1: So we look at, we look at every morning at six o'clock, what did we do right yesterday? Okay. What did we do wrong yesterday? Okay. And what can we do differently today to make it better? So let's say that, that we discovered that when we roof loaded the building on this one side, everybody was walking across the white roof and and made it dirty. Mm. So, so the next time when we load a roof, we'll say, okay, from this point forward, everybody needs to load a roof this way. And and then you know, it helps It helps because we do it in an open format so that everybody is involved, at least from production. And then we do the same thing with sales. We meet every morning at 7.15, so production meets at six, sales meets at 7.15, and we do the exact same discussion with sales. What did you do right yesterday? What did you do wrong yesterday? And what can you do better today? And, and we do it as a group. We don't leave anybody out. And, and we get in and out of those meetings, the production meetings about an hour, and the sales meeting is probably 45 minutes. And before 8 o'clock, we're finished. And everybody goes about and does what they need to do. Yeah. And we Perfect. use Zoom for that. We were using Zoom for that before COVID-19.
0: Nice. Nice. Perfect. Now, is there anything that that I should have asked but didn't?
1: I guess I would say that in the, in the roofing industry, yeah. you don't need a college degree. What you need is the ability to go out and work hard. Mm-hmm. give 110%. And if you take care of customers, you'll get repeat business and you'll be in it for the long run. What's beautiful about this industry is you need food, shelter, and clothing, right? Yeah. We provide the second one. Yeah. And so they're not going to have, roofing is never going to go away. It's the fact that if you, if you screw up and you're not keeping your eye on on the game, that's what will happen to you. But the industry by itself is never going anywhere. Every building, when we put on a roof, I consider it backlog. <laughs> it may be 10 years out. It may be 20 years out. But we always laugh at the office for our son. They'll all say, well, that's Marshall's problem. He's 21 years old. And they'll say, that's Marshall's problem. It's true. <laughs> it really is, right? Because we're putting on a roof that he's going to have to replace. And that, you know, like we'll be screwing it 60 screws per board. And they're like, it's not my problem. That's Marshall's baby. <laughs> it really is, and then that's what we like to think is we're looking way out. We're not looking about what we're going to be doing tomorrow. We're looking at what we're going to be doing in 2040. Hmm.
0: Yeah, that's very cool. Well, that was great. Uh, definitely learned a lot, and I'm sure the listeners learned a lot as well. So thank you.
1: Well, I appreciate the opportunity.
0: I want to thank everyone for listening to Specify today. I also, want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. If you know anyone, anyone that would benefit from this episode, please pass it along. And finally, make sure you subscribe to hear upcoming episodes. Talk to you soon.